episode of the Classic Pickup Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whips, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by Classic Pickup Supplies, your number one Ford and Chev pickup parts supplier. Mention Classic Truck for a 10% discount off your first order. Classic Pickup Supplies, located in Coolum Beach, Queensland. Call 07 5446 2667. Or visit their website, www.classicpickupsupplies.com.au. Classic Pickup Supplies, dedicated to the restoration and preservation of the pickup. Episode 4, Rocky. Firstly, a big thank you to everyone who has downloaded, subscribed and rated and shared the podcast in the past week or two. It's been great to finally get it launched and to see people from all over the world listening. Please continue to share it with friends and workmates. The website is up and running, and I'll have some t-shirts and hoodies coming soon, so stay tuned. I live in a small country town called Mount Beauty in northeast Victoria, a population of about 2,000 people. To give you an idea, the nearest traffic light to my house is 80 kilometres away in Albury-Wodonga. Like every town in the country, we have a handful of nice old cars around. About a year ago, I decided it was time we got them out of the garage, and I started our local cars and coffee meet. I'm sure most listeners know what the Cars and Coffee is, but if not, it's basically for us. Once a month, we meet down at the lake in town. John, our local mobile coffee caravan, sets up from 8 to 11am and you can bring your car or motorbike down and park it up. You don't have to wash it, it's not a judge show, it's just a bunch of people with nice cars getting together for a social catch-up and mutual appreciation session. If you don't have something like that in your town, get in touch and I'll help you kick it off. It's literally 10 minutes a month making a Facebook post. However, seeing 30 vehicles dusted off and out for a drive is extremely rewarding. I never had any idea how many were hiding in people's sheds and garages in town. At one meet about six months ago, I was wearing my pickup trucks down under t-shirt. Little plug there. It's a great page on Instagram covering only Aussie owned pickups. John, who runs the page, has a very nice red 56 Chevy pickup, which is the logo on the t-shirt. Anyway, a gentleman who I hadn't met before comes over and starts quizzing me about the shirt and tells me he has a Chevy pickup that he's restoring. To my amazement, he lives here in town and it's not long before I'm down in his workshop checking it out. Rocky has a very rare 1957 GMC Suburban Carrier. It's the GMC version of a Cameo with a fiberglass fleet side bedsides. I've gotten to know Rocky quite well and thought it would be good to share his story with you. So, Rocky, thanks for taking the time to come on and have a chat to us on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So, um, I thought we might start, uh, I'd like to start at the start. So, can you tell me your, uh, your first automotive memory? First automotive memory? Back when you were a kid. Uh, I was sitting on my father's knee in an Austin A40 driving the car down the road at five years of age. <laughs> Which was... Pretty normal in those yeah, days. That's not an unusual story. <laughs> and then when my father disappeared away for the weekend, I learned to drive it up and down the driveway. I learned how to hotwire it very quickly, and uh, a lot of kangaroo hops up and down the driveway. 
but that's where I got my start in driving cars. How, how old were you when you first hot wired the car? Probably 12, 12 yeah. 13. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's what we do when we're kids, don't we? We just watch and learn. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You pick up all the tricks by watching other people. Yeah. So when you were old enough, or, or even not old enough, what, what was your very first car? Uh, mate and I had 15 cars between us, between the age of 15 and 18. So we, we had a lot of things we tried to make go and we weren't very successful with any of them. <laughs> Pull them apart, put it back together. That's right. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what happened. A lot of fuel down, a lot of carbies. Yeah, and then go and find another one and start again. Yeah. yeah. And what sort of cars were they? Uh, what was the first one? First one. It was a, I've got to think about this. No, I can't think of the name. It was a very obscure American car. It had a broken diff and we couldn't get a diff for it. Otherwise the car was absolutely immaculate. Uh, I can't think of what it was. An Oldsmobile or a Packard or a... No, it was... Something it wasn't a marmon, but it was something like that. Mm. You know, it was it was a cheap Buick, but it, that's right. It wasn't a Buick. It was something else, because they all made a, a top grade car, and then a cheaper thing came in underneath it. Yeah. But it's too long ago to remember yeah. what it was. And so I never drove again. Couldn't get a diff for it, mm. but the car was immaculate. We'd go and buy a car from the wreckers because people would just dump a car at the wreckers. It was absolutely immaculate. And we'd push it home from South Road in Oakley to Carnegie. <laughs> That's a long way. <laughs> it was a long way. We were yeah. very keen in those days. <laughs> the cops would pull you up and say, what are you doing? We'd pull out a receipt from the Ford wreckers in South Road and say, we bought it. We're pushing it home. Oh, all right. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> so what would have been the first car that you drove on the road legally? Uh, 51 Twin Spinner. Um, the one you were just showing me some photos of? Yep, yeah. yep. That was the first car I owned when I had a driver's licence. As I said, we had 15 cars before that, but no licence. Yeah. But we still drove a lot. <laughs> yeah. And so you've shown me some before and after photos of the car, so... So you're a, you're a panel beater by trade? Yep, that's right. And a pretty decent mechanic, word on the street? Well, where I did my apprenticeship and in those days, you did everything. Where I, I did my apprenticeship, we were panel beaters, coach builders, body builders, wheelwrights, blacksmithing, spray painting, motor trimming, and you had to be able to do a bit of everything. Mm in those days. So you're also a mechanic because you know, we used to pull engines out of cars, transmissions and things, you know, they had a front ender. So you did mechanicing as well. Yeah. You know? yeah. So you had to be multi-skilled. And so this Ford, you you stripped it back and re just re-sprayed it or did it get a full rebuild? Uh, the first time I took all the chrome off it and painted it, that shaved look. The only thing left was the door handles on it, basically. And um, then I didn't like it, so I pulled the whole thing apart. I made 
half door skins for it at trade school, sills, the whole lot, welded it all in, and then painted it Highland Green, put an overhead valve uh, Y block in it, triple carbies, Mallory distributor, heap of headwork, twin exhaust, all the rest of it. Um, and that was my rocket for five years, I suppose, five, six years. Yeah. And would you go would you go racing? We didn't race that one, but we did race a twin spinner at Dalesford, yeah. stock cars. Um, we put an overhead valve in that one, put the engine right back in the cab, painted it black with white doors with a big gold star on the door, so it looked like <laughs> a cop car, and put the number four, 427 on the doors. And the first time we drove it down the hill into the basin where the track is at Dalesford, no mufflers or anything on it, and people actually thought it had a 427 in it. They were all going, wow, look at this thing. <laughs> and the first time you took off on the track, you shit yourself. <laughs> you didn't know what you were doing. <laughs> Did it have brakes? Uh, only on the front wheels. <laughs> Luckily, it was never scrutinised. Yeah. <laughs> you used to, had a floor shift in it. You used to pull it back in a second. It used to jump out a second. So we had a pad bolt on the shifter, so you push the pad bolt across and locked it in second, put your foot up on the firewall, and it's a clockwise oval track, and off you went, just sideways the whole way around the track. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. And so then, you know, we're, we're talking about trucks, and and we'll get into the story of how you how you got the truck we're here to talk about, but is that is that the first truck you've ever owned, or did you have trucks in the past? No, I've never had a truck. No. No, I was always attracted to Fords, Mustangs, things like that. And uh, really, the story is that we did a trip to the States and we did about 5,000 miles looking for Mustangs at a mobile home. And we came into this town... What year is this? Uh, 1995. We came into this town and it was like a time warp. I won't say where the town is. Still, still good to know where that is. Yes, yeah, okay. <laughs> I know where it is. Um, and we drove up and down every street, and we saw this paddock. And down the back of the paddock was a a big sort of um, wire fence with razor ribbon around it, and there was forty to fifty cars in there. Uh, they ended up it was an old retired panel beaters. And we went round the front, walked down the driveway. There was no one there. Walked into the shed, and there was the guy working, rubbing down, I think, an old pedal car. And we introduced ourselves, and he sort of looked very indignant. We later found out we were the first people that even got that far, because he usually pulled a shotgun yeah. and told him where the end of the driveway was. Yeah. So after three hours of talking, uh, we also mentioned that mate's girlfriend was still sitting in the mobile home out the front. Well, this guy said, bring her in quick. And we said, why? He said, they'll shoot her. There's Mexicans in the town. And when we finally got to see the cars in the yard, we understood every bit of glass had been shot yeah. in the whole place. And uh, he led us in the yard and showed us the cars. 
and we expressed that we'd like to buy you know, six or eight cars, and he sort of said, yeah, and then you're going to screw me. We said, no, we don't work like that. You give us a price on the car. If we think it's a fair price, we'll pay you cash for it. So we, we picked out you know, six or eight cars, some very rare cars, you know, in original paint and stuff, uh, 1957 Chev Nomad, a 56 Bel Air, uh, they're all V8s, a 57 sedan delivery, which happened to be the National Hot Rod Association record holder for, I think, 1969 and 1971. It was owned by a guy who had a speed shop still in his town. He didn't even know the car existed. A 56 sedan delivery. Uh, Mustang convertible, the 66 convertible. And a couple of other cars. Well, I rang him because we agreed to come back the next year because you had to find out about freight, all the problems because we'd never done it before and it was a secret society. And I rang him a week before we were due to fly out and he said, oh, I've just been to a a swap meet and I've seen what these cars are going for. I'm not going to sell a lot of them now. Of course, we were a bit deflated because we'd paid for our tickets and we were ready to fly to the States. So we went. Uh, I think we got three of the cars that we'd picked out um, then we had to just basically get another three cars together just to fill up the containers that we'd booked. And one of them happened to be well, this pickup truck, which I was told was a Chev in those days. Yeah. And, of course, we knew nothing about them. We'd never even seen one, let alone heard of one. And uh, I bought that. I only bought it because it had a V8 in it. And it was uh, 20% of them had V8s and they made less than 150 of them in 1957. So it immediately ticked the boxes of being a very rare vehicle and everything was there. So it's a 1957 GMC. Suburban carrier. Yeah. It's the same as a Cameo. Yeah, you know, it's got the GMC front, a big oval hole in the front of the bonnet, otherwise the guards and doors are the same. The dashboard's different than a Chev, and it's not as fancy, but all the quarter panels are fiberglass, the tailgate skin's fiberglass, spare wheel bin, which the centre of the bumper folds down, that's all fiberglass, and it's an extremely rare car. They made less than a thousand of them from 1955 to 1958. So they they made about five and a half thousand Chevy cameos. No, eleven and a half. Eleven and a half. Yep. All up. Yep. But the GMCs, it was only about a thousand. Yeah, it's the rare, rare vehicle. Yeah. And were were they made in the same factory as the cameos, the Corvette factory? All the pressings were because they're they're, they're not fiberglass mouldings like a boat. They're actually a pressing. And I think they they used to cure them with ultraviolet light. Right. Um, So both sides are the same. With normal fiberglass, the outside is nice and shiny and the inside's sort of coarse. Yeah. Where these are the same, both sides. Yeah. Cool. 
So, so you sort of inadvertently bought this truck because you were running out of time? Well, because I had to fill three more containers because of the cars you'd pulled off the market. Yeah. So, as I said, because it was a V8 pickup and it wasn't all that dear, I just bought it. So what'd you pay for that? Oh, I'd have to go and have a look. Um, it might have been something like twelve hundred bucks US. Yeah. It wasn't a lot of money. Yeah. You know the container cost more than that. Yeah. <laughs> but this is twenty five years ago. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I got it back home. I got it freighted up from Melbourne. It and a fifty one Chevy sedan delivery I bought back. But it was a really nice looking car. Yeah. So how many of you guys were travelling around in this Winnebago looking for cars? Just two, two, two men and, and a girl. Yeah. Mm. And so you were sort of getting two or three cars each? Was that sort of the plan or...? We went halves and everything. Yeah. 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 yeah, that was the plan. And the plan was just to bring them back and sell them? Yes. Yeah. 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 You know, in those days, I was converting left-hand drive cars to right-hand drive you know, for a job. So it was pretty easy for me. But one of the cars we bought back was, say, a 67 Mustang Coupe. It was nothing flash, but it was easy for me to convert it to right-hand drive, put a new upholstery in it, paint it, carpet, and sell it. Mm. Yeah? And that was half the plan. Yeah. Yeah. And so did you sell them all? Obviously not, not the Chev, oh, not the GMC. I didn't sell the GMC and the mate couldn't sell the 56 sedan delivery. That's now finished. It's a bit like a rat rod. He didn't paint it. Um, it's just got a 350 crate motor in it. And he drives that around Melbourne. If he pulls up at a service station, then the attendants come out and they, they want to buy it then and there. Yeah, yeah. He just says, it's not for sale. And they don't understand. Mm. So instead of making money out of bringing these cars into the country, we've sort of both got a, a free car each, you might say. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah. So so tell me about, I mean, I, I've just flown back from America, as you know. Yep, yep. And, and I've visited a couple of these um, companies that are just shipping stuff back to Australia every day. And there's cars and trucks lined up everywhere. Yep. And it's a pretty basic thing, you know, you just... I just contact an importer, pay the money, fill out a bit of paperwork. They turn up in Melbourne and go pick them up. What was that like 25 years ago? It was almost impossible. It was a secret society. I knew people who did it and they wouldn't tell you a thing how it's done. When we were over there, when we first found the cars, I rang up uh, a department of the US government and said, I want to export six cars out of America to Australia. I was told you weren't allowed to do that. It's illegal, which isn't true. But you just couldn't get information. So it took us nearly 12 months being back home to put together the information that we needed and the contacts to do it. Because so, so you guys drove around, you found these cars, Yep. committed to buy them, Yes. flew back to Australia. Yep spent 12 months trying to get all this organised and then went back to load them up. That's right. And then he pulled the pin on a few of them. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. We had to clean them all. You know, they've all got to be cleaned underneath, under the engine bay, so there's no mud or dirt or dust. 
under-them. Um, then we had to organise the guy with the containers. We had to get six trucks organised with six containers on the back. Then we had to organise a wrecker to bring a forklift around with slippers that were about 12 foot long. Uh, we had to make wooden frames up to put the car wheels in between so as they didn't move in transport. And we were sort of typical Australians. We're sort of cursing and swearing and talk, talking how we normally talk. I turned around and I looked out the back and there's about eight Americans there with their arms on the floor of the container listening to our conversation. And they said, we've never heard people talk like that before in our lives. <laughs> yeah. I said, well, you've never met Australians before. <laughs> so that was a major hassle. And even that guy, we paid him. He rang us up when we were at the airport and he wanted a backhander right, for doing that. They just, they've all got their hand out. It never stops. Mm. Yeah. And the first thing you find out is the people in the country despise the people in the city. This guy came up to have a look halfway through cleaning the cars and the guy we were buying them off just turned his back and just ignored him. Didn't even recognise him because the guy had a suit on. Yeah, yeah. Huh? That's, that happens here. Oh, I don't doubt it. Yeah. Don't doubt it. Yeah. But in America, it's just, it's full on yeah. for everyone. No one will help you like in Australia. People will say, I'll give you a hand. Mm. Not in America. Have you been back since then? Yeah, been back yeah. several times. Yeah. yeah. And you've still found it to be that way? Yeah. Yeah, the country people are, are really, really nice. They, they go out of their way to help you. Yeah. Uh, the city is uh, just full of rats. They just want to get everything they can out of you. Yeah. yeah. It's always been the same. Yeah. yeah. So, so you get this thing to Australia, and so that's 25 years ago. Yep. And it, it just sits around trying to sell it? I put it up the front for sale, a couple of cars. Uh, one guy wanted to buy it. They even picked out the colour they wanted to paint it. and His wife picked the colour, and that usually means you've sold it. <laughs> uh, and he reneged on it. So I thought, bugger this. So I took it down to the back of the workshop and started pulling it apart. I got it going. It had no brakes or anything, but I got the engine running. Um, then I get a phone call, it's the guy who reneged it. He said, I don't want it, but a mate of mine wants it. And I said, well, I've just pulled it all apart. Oh, I don't want it. I said, well, you've got to pull it apart anyhow. He still didn't want it. So that's when I made the decision, I'll do this thing myself. Because yeah. Yeah. over the, a couple of years, I found out how rare these things were. I've run into people in Detroit... One guy who specialises in pickup trucks, he came over to Australia uh, to see a mate of his here in Tawonga, they called Rudy, and this guy said, I've never even heard of one of these, let alone seen one. He had to come to Australia to see it. Yeah. That's how rare they are. And, you know, I, I know for 
you know, I, I've Googled it a couple of times to have a look and, you know, as we've been chatting over the past few months and, yeah, and you've really got to get through all the Chevys to find the GMC. You know? Yes, it's always been known as the poor cousin of Chev, yeah, but, but it's really the Pontiac side of things. They used Pontiac 6s and V8s in them Yeah. until, uh, I think, around 62 or something, then they decided just to run Chev engines in them. But up to that, they were Pontiac trucks, basically, but they weren't called a Pontiac, they no. were GMC. So so what year did you first start pulling it apart and getting it running? <sighs> Probably about 2008, yep. something around there. Yep. Um, I just one day I just decided to pull it in the workshop and pull it apart and just... Every nut and bolt and screw and washer out of it. Had the chassis sandblasted. Painted it. I bought everything in the suspension, etc. Brand new from the States. Um, built the chassis. Put it on a, a rotisserie so I could work on it. Made all new brake lines, fuel lines. Uh, got cross-drilled drums for the brakes because <laughs> I, I learned over the years that when you uh, put performance into the engine you need to put some braking power in as well it does help to yes make it safe yes uh, put a tandem corvette master cylinder in it just you know, for safety um then the body i took that to a place in wodonga and it was chemically stripped and it just came out just almost shiny metal, you know. Uh, then I had to get some rust patches from the States and graft all that in. Uh, I bought two new doors for it, two new guards, and then spent about two months getting the fit, the good Taiwanese quality. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually we got there. Yeah. You know? uh, I was probably too pedantic about it. Because you know, a lot of nice gaps and flush panels and things, but when you go back and look at these pickup trucks, yeah, there's a half inch gap, and that's how it was from the factory. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were they were built as a farm truck, but you know, yep. it wasn't like it was a Mustang or a, a Cadillac that was going to go out and be a show. It was just punching out farm trucks, go and do some hard work. So that's the thing, and yep. and guys now restoring them are, are trying to make things. Perfect, which you can do, but it's hard when they didn't start that way. They never were that. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I remember I had the cab sitting in my workshop, all in H Primer, and one of my old customers, she had a, she's got an XY Fairmont V8 I've looked after for about 25 years, and I pulled the whole car apart, fish oiled it. It's got no rust, no nothing in it. It's never been the prank. And I start looking over the panel fitment on this and I go, holy Toledo, you can't believe how bad it is. <laughs> and that was 1971. Mm. So a 1957 truck, you can imagine. Yeah. No two were the same. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we're, we were in your garage not long ago. Yeah. And your cab's still not in paint. No, no that's right. So this has been a long journey. It has. Yeah. yeah. And so... Has it sat dormant for a period of time? Did you, you know, was, did it just get put away in storage or 
but what's been the process over these years? Well, I had to sell Mum's place where my workshop was, so I didn't have anywhere to work anymore. Yeah. So I had to uh, build a workshop out in the mate's farm, and we sort of made an agreement where when I fall off the planet, it becomes his. It will be no use to me. Yeah. So I had to take time off and do that because you know we did the slab, we put the building up, we did the whole thing ourselves. Um, so it all takes time. Mm. And then when I finally got all that done, I probably lost a bit of interest. And then I had health issues this year with my heart and you just didn't feel like doing anything, unfortunately. Yeah. And I'm only just starting to feel I want to get back into it now. Yeah, and it's a tough one, I suppose. You know, motivating yourself to go and block sand a vehicle when that's what you've done for your whole life. That's right. That's been your job. Yep. To go and say, now I'm retired and I'm going to go and do that in the shed. It's 70 years of age. Yeah. I've got to go back to doing what I was doing when I was 21. Yeah. 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 You need an apprentice. So, yeah. So, so you spoke about the fact that they had a lot of Pontiac parts in it. Now, it doesn't have a Chev engine, does it? No, they had Pontiac V8s in about 20% of them. Yeah. As I said, they made 150 in 957. Yeah. That's about 20 or 30 cars. Yeah. Which is very, very rare. And so it's, it's the original engine that's in yep, it? Yep, original yeah. engine. Uh, I decided to make it into a bit of a 60s hot rod, but I didn't want to butcher anything on the car. So I've got uh, three-inch lowered front springs, left the back stock height, uh, so it's got a bit of a rake on it. It had a set of eight-inch wheels on it when I got it, so they've stayed on it, just painted wheels. Uh, I found... Uh, 1957, uh, it's date stamped the 11th of December, 1957, triple carby inlet manifold and carbies, which had only just come out that year, and that was used uh, in NASCAR racing. You could buy it over the counter. And I got that on eBay and bought that and had it sent to Australia, and you know, a bit of eye candy probably. Uh, I spent a lot of time on the engine. You know, it's, it's ported, matched to the gaskets, bigger set of valves you can put in it, roller tip rockers. Um, got a camshaft that'll pull from idle to five and a half thousand revs. Then we had to hand make a set of tri-wire headers for it because you can't buy any performance exhaust for a pickup truck. Yes. Uh, mate spent two weeks doing that. It cost a lot of money, uh, and then I put the chassis on a tandem trailer. It was all complete. It, you know, it almost ran in those days, and I took it to an exhaust place in Albury that I dealt with, and they handmade a full two-and-a-half-inch stainless system with an X-pipe on it. Um, so it, it's a one-off. No-one else has got it or even seen anything like it. You know? Yeah, uh, it's great. And so, so the chassis is a complete rolling chassis. It's ready to go. 
It, it goes. Yeah. We actually uh, illegally towed it down uh, till we got off the highway and uh, there was no gendarmes around, so I just jumped in it and fired it up and drove it up to the mate's farm. <laughs> Luckily, there were no cops anywhere. <laughs> Why not? Why not? All those years. <laughs> and so what's to go? I mean, I... I uh, I went on a little bit of a mission for you while I was in America, trying to find um, some parts. And uh, but but you're getting pretty close to having everything, eh? All the chrome's done. That's sitting here at home. Uh, I've looked for years for a grill. Everyone says you'll never find one. About the fourth thing I found on eBay was a, a grill. A grill. It cost me about 1300 bucks or something to get it out here, but hey, I've got to have it. Um, so the seat's done, all the upholstery. You can still buy the material that was used in 1957. You can still buy it today from a place in Oregon. Yeah. Got it shipped out. Uh, it's all sewn together. They weren't welded pleats in those days, so it was all sewn again. Our local motor trimmer did it, and... It's just absolutely beautiful, you know. So that's all there, ready to go. Uh, said the engine goes, it's, it's run in. It's just a case now of blocking down the cab, then undercoat it, then block it down again, and then I've got four different paints I've got to put in the cab just alone. So there's so much masking and stuff. Because the inside of them was originally a satin grey in the cheap models. In the upper models like this, it's uh, satin turquoise with a satin dashboard. Uh, and then you've got a white roof and, and you've got a gloss turquoise body on it. So there's a lot of work in painting the cab. And yeah, this is the thing that I... I'm loving about your build. Most guys will go a full resto mod. Let's just chuck on whatever makes it perform better or yeah. drive better or, you know, I'll pick a colour because that's the colour I like. Apart from a couple of subtle touches, you're doing a, a correct restoration. Pretty well, yeah. Yeah, because I like things to be how they were in that year car. I like it to be painted for a colour for that year. And it just happens that this was a turquoise, which is an absolutely beautiful colour. And that was the original paint inside the back bumper bar. So I took it into the paint place in Albury and they matched it on the computer. I can get the paint made any day I want. Yep. And it's absolutely perfect. You know? it's, I like that sort of stuff. I, I hate someone painting it Monza red. You know, which was, say, a 1979 XD Falcon colour. Yeah. It just looks hideous on other cars. Huh? Yeah. And and it's staying left-hand drive, obviously. Of course. A, a big error a lot of people made, and it was a lot of it was caused by the law. You weren't allowed to drive a left-hand drive car on full registration in Victoria. It's always been very contentious. Uh the government, they got them together one day and they said, listen, in, I think it was Canberra, South Australia, WA 
and it could have been Queensland, you're allowed to drive a left-hand drive car on full recharge, especially in WA because you've got the guys at all the uh, listening stations who come over from America with their left-hand drive pickup trucks and drive them round and just leave them and disappear back to the States. So that law was put through and it was probably a good thing because if you convert that car to right-hand drive, if it's a rare car, you can't sell it back to America. So if you've got a rare car, you know, whether it's a Shelby or a pickup truck or whatever, and it's, it's a collectible, people don't look at the option, but you can sell that back to America. Yeah. Once it's converted, that's the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was funny. We were traveling uh, through, I think we are in Colorado. We were, we were driving through and I spotted, because I, I was on the lookout for a, a bed for my truck. And we were driving along the highway and I spotted this bed sitting there. Well, it was converted to a trailer like they always yep. do. And I was like, there's one there, you know. And so we, we got on Google Maps. We found the nearest spot to turn in and try and go and find the owner. So we drive around and we pull in the driveway and there's these guys and they're all leaning on the back of this pickup truck drinking a beer. It was in the afternoon. And this guy had an international scout, right-hand drive. In the middle of Colorado, yep. factory right-hand drive international scout. And we were blown away. We were like, what? why have you got that? And it was a postal vehicle. That's right. Yeah. Their right-hand drive. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, and, and he was saying he has a hell of a time finding parts. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was interesting. Yep. Yeah. Well, they still used uh, right-hand drive vehicles for delivering mail. Yeah. Because the letterbox is on the wrong side. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so bodywork's getting close, and then, and then we're going to paint it. We're going to put the the cab back on the chassis. I've got everything here, basically, to put it all together. It's all just sitting there waiting to go. Yeah. Uh, the last trip I did to the states, I found a place who makes reproduction wiring. Not just reproduction, but exactly how it was for any car in the world in LA. Uh, I tracked them down, I went there and I told them what I wanted and they said, we don't do that. I had to tell them, yes, you do. And they said, no, we don't. I said, yes, you do. Are you sure? I said, yes. And they looked through their list and said, we do do it. Well, there you go. Well, that, that was... 900 bucks US just for the wiring loan. So for people listening and, and maybe they're looking for the same thing, do you remember what they were called? Uh, I think it was EZ Wiring from memory. Yep. So they've got the correct colour wires and everything. The connectors, everything. Yep. They're, they're one of only two people in the world that's authorised to do reproduction Porsche wiring. Uh the guy took us for a trip around the whole place. Upstairs, there's there's shelving with probably 10,000 wiring looms in it. And what they do is stretch that out and they make everything to the right length with the right fitting. And then, if it's an earlier car with a braid over the wiring, they showed us they had three machines that still do the braiding. One was about 19.9, nine, 
One was about 1919 and the other was about 1927. And if it's a long wheelbase Cadillac, it's got an orange trace in it. Well, they put the orange trace in. It is exactly mm. what it was the day it was made. Yeah. And it's the only place in the world that does it. And what about your, you know, your speedo and stuff like that? Has that been a recode or what are no, you doing? The, no one did them. And in the last six months, I've found people that do them. But it's a bit late. I've, I've ordered later model gauges. Oh, I've got them sitting here. Um, they look about right, period, right. But it was the only way you could go. Yeah, look, a few things you've got to be practical on. Did that, same as I put a five-speed gearbox in it with an old floor shift out of an international truck. So it just looks like it was made for it. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. in the country, you've got to have overdrive. Yeah. 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 You do big Ks and the thing you're revving its guts out, it's not a good sort of thing. No. And then, so we were looking for a bedwood kit for you. That was one of the things I was yep. chasing. What else? You've still got some repairs to do on the fiberglass? I've got to repair both quarter panels. Um, it looks like it's had a smack into a tree or a telegraph pole. Unfortunately, it's not the original cab. It is a 1957 V8 cab, which is very, very rare, but it's got a small back window instead of a big back window. I could have changed it, but it's a lot of work, and, and I thought it's not worth it because with that big back window, you just fry in this country. Yeah. It's just too much. The small back window is more practical in Australia. So, yeah, that was a bit of an issue to get which way to go. But I think you've just got to be practical with some things. Yeah, absolutely. And so, is there, a, you know, do you have in your head, oh, I'd like to have it finished next year or, you know, obviously the sooner the better, but, I mean, realistically... Do you, do you have a plan? Do you have a show you want to take it to? Is there... I, I won't go to car shows. No. No. I've seen too many nice cars damaged at car shows by envious people. Yeah. Uh, and you think, why did I go to the trouble of bringing it to this car show to have someone walk down the side with a two-bob bit and scratch the hell out of months' worth of work? Yeah. Sadly. Mm. Um or you come back and there's six people leaning on it or sitting on the mudguard. I mean, hello? Yeah. <laughs> so you, you think once it's finished and you you drive the hell out of it for a while? Yep. Do you think you're going to look to sell it? Find no. someone in America to buy no, it? or no, I have no intention of selling it. I've sold everything I've ever restored because it was... The whole thrill was finding the bits, getting yeah, it all put together and restored. And after that, you sort of, you lost interest. It sounds silly, but you do. Yeah. Uh, where this one, no, I'm too old to, so I'll sell it and I'll get something else. Uh, this one's a keeper. This one's a keeper. It's a yeah. ke definitely a keeper. <laughs> and then... And then will you drive it? Like, will you... Oh, yeah, I'll put it on 90 Days Club Reg and I'll drive the wheels off the thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's the plan. Will you bring it to our car show? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the local club's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, a mate took his Corvette last year to Langer to show. 
and parked it up on the hill away from everyone. Uh, he's walking back and there's a girl lying across the bonnet having a photo taken. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's disrespectful. It is, it yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. And he just spent about 20 grand having it painted. So. <laughs> yeah. and, and as far as your, your work, I mean, you were retired, but you still look after some long-term customers, don't you? Oh, I do a few, yeah, yeah. yep. Because yeah. they just don't want to go anywhere else, you know? Yeah. And that's part of building a reputation over the years, isn't it? Oh, yeah, because, you know, you try to be honest and square with people. Yeah. The old saying is, uh, you do good in the country, three hear about it, and you do wrong, 20 hear about it. Mm, absolutely. So it, it take you five years to get a reputation and five minutes to totally destroy it. Yeah. And so here's a question. As a lifelong panel beater spray painter you know you've seen a, a thousand beautiful paint jobs yeah what do you think of of the current patina uh i'm not going to call it a craze but a lot of people are, are not painting a vehicle they're leaving that original paint and and sometimes it there's almost no paint left what's your opinion on it i don't like it, don't <laughs> like it. Yeah. i don't like it but that's all right i like very flat shiny paint yeah yeah that's what I grew up doing, and and that's what you like. So you see one of the show, and you just think it's not finished. No, 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 yeah. no. It's, I don't like it. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> no. I'm building a potato truck. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's also a good way of saving yourself twenty or thirty grand. Well, and you know, and that's the reason that I think it started, obviously. Um, but it's at a point now, even where guys are they're probably spending almost as much money as a paint job to try and repair the rust and then match the patina and make it look like they haven't done anything. Yeah. And that's a skill in its own. Oh, it is. Yeah. You know, some of them look pretty trick. There's no denying that. Mm. But Some of them look really shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say the vast majority do. We were at a car show in the States a couple of years ago and, there were some rat rods there, and, and they were really radical. But you looked at them, and the workmanship was just absolutely first class. It's mm. absolutely superb workmanship, uh, even on a rat rod. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just, I think people want to save themselves a lot of money instead of having the thing painted. Yeah, and, and I mean, also, the reason that you don't want to take your truck to a car show is because you're concerned about someone damaging your paint. That's right. So, you know, part of the reason I am building a patina-style truck was 10 years ago I started restoring a split-screen combi. Yep. And it was going to be the nice paint job. And, and I started doing all the work for that. And then I started going to a bunch of different car shows, the Volkswagen car shows. And I'd never heard of a rat rod. I, I sort of wasn't aware of that at the time. And all of a sudden there's all these old Beatles and Carmen Gears and even, you know, the split screen buses and and they're half totally ratty, half the paint's gone, some of them have got holes in them. And and I thought, I like them. <laughs> and look at all this work you don't have to do. <laughs> and you can go and park it in the supermarket. That's right. And if someone hits a shopping trolley into it... It doesn't matter. It just looks better. Yeah. You know, yeah, so... 
Oh, it's horses for courses, but yeah. Yeah, do you find also, because we're all old school, that we have a lot more pride in our vehicles? Yeah. You know? yeah. We, we look after them and we respect what they are. We're, the vast majority of people today, it's just a car. It means nothing to them. Yeah. Yeah. But we were lucky. We grew up in an age where the motor car was absolutely number one, you know, through the, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. Yeah. You know? And yet a lot of young kids now don't even want to buy one. They want an electric one. Yeah. And save the planet. Yeah. <laughs> or, or they just want to catch an Uber. Yeah. And not even have to... I mean, if you live in a city, you don't need a car now. You can't, you've got nowhere to park it in the yeah. first place. Yeah. So, no, it's interesting. But you can't go anywhere. No. <laughs> well, that's the thing for me. Like, I grew up in a country town, and the only way I could ever go anywhere was I had to drive there. That's right. Or I had to talk mum and dad into driving me there, you know. Yep. The minute I could get my license, I got it on my 18th birthday, like a lot of people, and I already had a car, and and it was my lifeline. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But for a lot of people, it, it's different, you know, and, and I think more and more young people now like you say, it's just it's just a way to get from somewhere to somewhere. From else. A to B yeah. and back again. Yeah. We, you know, we all got married in our early twenties, and, and yeah, you know, we used to go and sit out front of a, a pub in Carnegie called the Rostown, Rostown pub, and we'd watch all the cars go past and have a few beers at the front, and of course you'd see a, a Mac One Mustang or something, and you go, whoa, look at that thing. And when you got to your 40s, you finally had enough money to buy one, yeah? And you, you still had the thought of that car in the back of your mind, you know, for the last 20, 30 years. Yeah. And yeah. when you got it, it satisfied that sort of need to have that car. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny, when I was in high school, which was about when you were going to America on this trip in about 95. Yep. And, you know, an XD Falcon was just a cheap piece of shit. Yep. Like, that's what everyone bought because it was an XD or a VN Commodore and, you know, at, they were okay, but they, were, they weren't anything great. They no. were just, that was the cheap car to buy. That's right. <clears throat> and, I mean, I, I go to the Bright Rod Run now and there's guys driving around in these really nice XDs. Yeah. And I, I can appreciate that they've done all the work to them. But to me, it's a piece of crap that I didn't want when I was in high school. <laughs> you know? And so... As you get older and, you know, like different people are into different things and and what's now looked at as a classic, you know, like for me, it was always just a, you know, that's just what you got because that's all you could afford. That's right. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's quite fun. So when you when you were over in America, did you ever make it to the SEMA show? No, no. Didn't know anything about SEMA. Yeah. Uh, uh, only show I've been to was the Ford Nationals in Pennsylvania. And that was 150 acres of cars. <laughs> it's just absolutely mind-blowing, the yeah. cars that were there. Yeah, yeah. And the quality of some of the restorations is, is above and beyond what even I've got the most critical eye. I cannot find a, a fault. They're mm. flawless. Yeah. You know. There's a lot of money gets spent. Well, the, uh, one was a 1959 uh, Fairlane. Uh, he wanted a hundred and ten thousand US for it. You couldn't fault the car. You know, it's just flawless, absolutely mm. amazing. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, we were at the Good Guys Car Show in Scottsdale, Arizona. Right. And there was a um, there was a Ford pickup there, a forties model. Um, and I was chatting to the guy that built it. I'm not going to mention it because it because of the fact that I, I don't think the customer wants people to know what it cost him. But this is a three hundred and seventy thousand dollar build. I just couldn't wrap my head around it. It's yeah. because that's what he wanted. Yeah. And he could afford it. Yeah. Good on him. Same as I said, we were looking at Mac 1 Mustangs yeah. Uh, yeah. when we were 22 or 23. Yeah. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah. And so car clubs, have you ever been a member of a car club? or? Well, you've got to be a member of a car club to get club registration. Yeah. So I'm in the Bright uh, Preservation Society just over the hill here. So, yeah. yeah. Country blokes... Um, Everyone gets on well together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I go to a few of their their dues, but not every one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And, and what about when you were were young in Melbourne? Was there a, a crew or a club that you would you guys would go together? Or no, no. Um, we were a bit like the old American things, you know, lone wolf, no car club. <laughs> yeah, just a bunch of mates and yeah, yeah. just. We'd go to Calder, go to the car races or something, you know, there'd be four or five car loads of us, you know, that type of thing. But yeah. people weren't into clubs in those days. Yeah. Um, no, just there's no interest for them. No. Yeah. Cool. Well, great to hear your story. Well, there's probably a lot more to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't yeah. think of it anymore at the moment. No, I appreciate you having a chat and... Um, and I look forward to uh, to seeing it roll out the driveway with Rego plates. So alive, I can yeah. tell you. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite the journey. It is. It's yeah. a long journey. Yeah. And would you do anything differently? Like when you look at it now, like no, no, no. you're doing just how you would have done it. And... That's how I, I see it in my mind. Yeah. And that's how it is. Fantastic. Yeah, you, know, you you don't powder coat the chassis because it was never powder coated. It was it was painted in satin black enamel. That's what it's done in. Yeah, it's not a show car or anything. It's just it's a restoration. Yeah, with a little bit of sixties hot rodding in yeah. it. And it's still a labour of love at the moment. It's not becoming a thorn in your side. Well, as I say to a lot of people, it's a labour of love, but I'm running out of love. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. There's not a lot of love left. <laughs> I'll be worth it in the end. It's a great truck. Oh, will be. Yeah. Will be. Hi, Rocky. Thanks for that, mate. No worries. Thanks, Whips. Well, that's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All information shared in our episodes is general, and you should contact your engineer for advice on your build. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with friends and fellow enthusiasts on Facebook, iTunes, or the good old word of mouth. I appreciate hearing feedback, good and bad, so please feel free to shoot me an email, classicpickuppodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in advertising on the podcast and have a relevant business, please get in touch. And finally, if you have a project you're building, it can be hard to find the time to work on it. Just spend 15 minutes a day, even if you only unbolt one panel or mount one bracket, you'll be amazed at how quickly it all adds up. The music you hear in the background of this podcast is called Hammer On Down by Uncle Bonehead. Until next week, 
Enjoy the ride.